0: Al Order was a big kid, 6'4", close to 250 pounds in high school. When he went out for the track team, he was strong, and of course, he made the team. Crazy thing is, they needed middle-distance runners. And nobody seemed to notice that Al Order was a bull mastiff surrounded by whippets (laughs) on the running team, but he was strong, and he was determined, and he persevered, and he became a pretty good middle-distance runner. One day he was practicing his mile run. Off in the corner there were some teammates learning how to throw the discus and uh, they weren't doing so well and almost hit Al. Coach said, hey, order, little help here. Throw that thing back to us. And he picked up the discus, having never held the thing in his hand before, and he looked at it, and he looked at them, and he threw it their direction, and they did like this. Wow! Al Order never had to run another competitive mile in his life. In that pivotal moment, he had discovered his lifelong love, a a three-and-a-half-pound rubber-flying saucer. Al got a scholarship to Kansas State to throw the discus. He went out for the uh, Olympic team and made the Olympic team, but the strange thing is, as big and strong and as gifted as he was, he never seemed to be favored as the, the shoe-in to win the medals, but uh, he has been described by sports writers as the greatest athlete in the modern Olympic era. era. He's the only. He was the first athlete to win four gold medals in um, succeeding four uh, back-to-back Olympic Games. He remains the only athlete, Olympic athlete, to have established four consecutive Olympic records. What I like about Order is he was good, he worked hard, but there's one word that comes to my mind when I think of my hero, Al Order, and it's this amateur. Amateur. One sports writer said he is the consummate amateur. He exemplifies everything there is to exemplify about the Olympic Games because what he did, he did for the love of the sport, plainly and simply. And when you drill down to the meaning of that word, amateur, that's what it's about. It comes from the old French word amateur. We get uh, our uh, contemporary word uh, amore from that root. Sometimes we think that uh, amateur means uh, not quite up to par, second rate. It's not what it means at all. It means simply lover. An amateur is a lover. Throughout his life, Order didn't see Olympic fame, and he had that. He didn't see Olympic fame as the stepping stone to a lucrative career. He could bounce off of his medals to uh, some position on Wall Street or somewhere else that would uh, earn him a comfortable living the rest of his life. He continued to uh, compete. He even rattled the saber a little bit at the Olympic Games in 1980 and he was uh, close to 50 years of age and had the young guys quaking in their boots, suggesting that he might uh, again compete and shut them out and set another record. Well, you know the story of the 1980 Olympics. Uh, That didn't happen, but he remains my hero. And it's in thinking about our order that I titled my message today, Amateur Christians, because I believe that we are called, as followers of Jesus Christ, to first and foremost be lovers of God and lovers of His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything else can get set aside if that becomes our central focus and everything else will fall into place. I believe that in the depths of my soul. I've noticed several things about lovers, I suspect you have too. Lovers are passionate. How can you miss that at Walla Walla University? Those of you who were at graduation, they always announce, you know, how many couples uh, are getting married uh, out of the, the graduating class. Spring is a wonderful time at Walla Walla University. The sun is shining. Love is blossoming. Some people refer to it as spring fever, as if it's some sort of disease. Give me more of that disease. My wife and I weren't fortunate enough to be undergraduates at Walla Walla University. We got here pretty quickly after that time, and we've stayed ever since, but uh, we visited our alma mater recently. Back in the day, it was SMC, Southern Matrimonial College. Good memories indeed. because it it was there that we met, and we fell in love, and the rest is history. Pam reminds me that uh, when I was young, I was passionate. I used to write her poetry. A few years back, I asked her what she wanted for Christmas. She said a poem. (laughs) I was a little rusty at the love poem business, but I, uh, I got to work. And she said I could share a few lines of poetry from that poem with you this morning. Here it goes. <clears throat> a computer is a great machine, accurate, precise. Wow, doesn't that give you tingles? <laughs> That's right up there with Browning's, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. A computer is a great machine machine, accurate, precise. But given the terms, given the choice, given the choice in simplest terms, my Mac, I'd sacrifice. When she's away, and she is this weekend, when she's away, my heart yearns long not for keyboard, screen, or mouse, but indeed for her smile, the sound of her voice, the touch of my loving spouse. It's getting better. (laughs) Who is this winsome, feminine one who excels in grace each year? who playfully directs my reverie when she is nowhere near, the cleric strength and the sanguine surprise of her personality, a symphonic blend of wit and charm that bends the weakened knee. And when nocturnal shadows paint in misty pastel tones, I'm going to push the pause button right there. Uh, that's enough. You get the idea. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how when the writers of Scripture get really passionate about their love for God, they break forth into poetry? Psalm 8 comes to mind. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens and the sun, the moon, the stars that thou hast ordained, what is man, what is woman that thou should consider them? Thou created them a bit lower than the angels, but have crowned them with honor and glory. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth doesn't get better than that lovers lovers are passionate i hear some saying yeah but passion you can get carried away with passion i suppose that's true Some people fear that if we talk about passion too much, it will cause us to not want to be obedient anymore. It's not true. It's not true. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 go like this. Behold, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. Now, right now, because of His love, we are the children of God, and it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But we know, says the apostle, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. His love is the motivator. And we get that mixed up sometimes. We, we think that guilt is a good motivator. My kids used to say when they were younger, pack your bags, dad's taking us on another guilt trip. I regret that. Because guilt's a lousy motivator. Fear's not a good motivator. It can produce some adrenaline, and it can get us running, but uh, the same apostle says, perfect love casts out all fear. Fear only gets us so far. Duty. Duty. Now, there's a motivator. You want to know what the motivators of Scripture really are? There are three of them powerful faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. When we as amateur Christians talk about and practice and express ourselves in loving, caring ways, that's not a problem. We reflect the image and the character of Jesus when we do that. Love is the great motivator. Eleven of the twelve apostles died martyrs' death not for a set of beliefs, not for a philosophy, not for a creed, not for any of that, but for a person, a person that they had come to know and that they had fallen in love with and were passionate about, and they gave their lives for Jesus. Passionate people will give their lives for the things they love and the things that motivate them most deeply. Lovers. Are passionate. Second thing I've noticed is that uh, lovers are committed. Lovers are committed. We talked about the uh, the apostles, and when they describe commitment to Jesus Christ, it's not in terms of. Uh, simply warm fuzzies and little kitties and puppy dogs. It is in the real stuff of life. It's getting down in the trenches and learning to love one another in our communities and in our world that is deeply troubled and deeply flawed. It's a commitment to take the love of Jesus Christ and make it real in our communities. Lovers are not only passionate. Lovers are committed. Third thing I've noticed about lovers is they never stay the same. Second Corinthians, chapter 3, beginning with verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, all of us, and we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed It's a process. We are being transformed more and more into His image, into His likeness. That's the work of the Spirit. Lovers never stay the same. I suspect it's so obvious that uh, I don't even need to say it, but I will briefly. My appeal this morning to you is the appeal of God's Word. Some of us have never known or experienced for ourselves, we've heard some people talk about it perhaps but we've never known and experienced for ourselves and internalized the love of Jesus Christ, which constrains us and compels us and motivates us to be like Him. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and I'll sit down and I'll have supper. That's what the Bible says. I will sup with you. In the ancient world, and it's still true today, one of the clearest signs of a relationship, of intimacy, is sharing a meal together. Jesus says, I want to come in and be your friend. What's for supper? And if we don't have anything for supper, he's pretty good at uh, putting something together on the spot. You heard about that 5,000 thing? Yeah, he's good. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, Jesus says, I'll do the rest. I'll come in. We'll have supper together. I will be your friend, and we will be in love. Some of us have known that experience. And it's grown a little rusty. In the last book of the Bible, there's a powerful invitation. Jesus said, some of you have lost your first love. Come back. Return to that point from which you started. Return to your first love fall in love all over again. That, that is the Lord's invitation. Let me profile for just a moment what I understand an amateur Christian to look like, a snapshot, if you will, Amateur Christians are consumed with a burning love for Jesus. That's what they think about when they wake up in the morning. That's what they think about and give thanks for as they're drifting off to sleep. And it makes a difference in every other dimension of their lives. They tend to be joyful Christians. I'm not talking about some state of perfection. They would be the last ones, along with the Apostle Paul, to say, "Uh, have I arrived? No, I don't make such a claim to have arrived. But the love of Jesus brings joy to their hearts. And that joy overflows in a magnificent generosity toward others. It makes us less critical. It makes us less censuring. It makes us more compassionate it makes us more inclusive. The love of Jesus in our hearts makes us want to reach out and share that love with others. Our founding mother in the Seventh-day Adventist Church put it this way, if there were more Christians who expressed the love of Christ in their daily lives, we'd have 20 converts, or perhaps 100 where we now have one. Amateur Christians exude the love of Christ. I want you to imagine for a moment what a church full of amateur Christians looks like. It's a glorious thing. In fact, look around. Pam and I have been privileged in our family to be uh, members of this community right here The Walla Walla University Church, for more than 30 years, 31 years at the end of this uh, summer, we feel blessed and we feel fortunate. Is it perfect? No. Is it heaven? No. Is it good? Yes are there a whole lot of amateur christians who are loving and caring and open and inclusive and compassionate and filled with a love for caring for and serving others you bet it's one of the things that grounds us and keeps us here i've been i've been in churches filled with professional christians And professionals, they like to measure things, metrics, always talking about the policies and the rules. Have you hung around professionals? That's what they do. It's okay, I suppose, in, in, in certain spheres, but spare me from professional Christians. They want to take out the metrics, and they want the yardstick. They hold it up to me, and they hold it up to you. And uh, most of the time, you know, we don't measure up to whatever their view of. uh, They're pretty sure that we don't know how to pray, and they can teach us. They're pretty sure we're doing it the wrong way. I've had enough of churches filled with professional Christians. The call to my heart is be a follower of Jesus Christ, be a lover of Jesus Christ. Forget everything you knew about being a professional Christian, and for heaven's sake, be an amateur. I saw the transforming power of love a long time ago in my friend, Hans Boxberger. Now, that's his real name. There's no innocence to protect here, so I'm just going to tell you about Hans Boxberger. I was his resident assistant at SMC in the residence hall, in the dorm. And that's a little like being a, a surrogate dad to, uh, to, to, to uh, guys, a number of whom were older than I was, so it was a little awkward. Hans Boxberger roomed with Bob Moore. And I loved those guys as an RA and, and just, as a, as, just as a person. Because there were times when, you know, I'd knock on the door, and if nobody's there, you know, it was my duty to stick my master key in the door and look in, make sure they hadn't expired or, uh, you know, uh, anything untoward, um, or, or, you know, they were doing stuff they shouldn't be doing or, you know, whatever. You got a lot of responsibility when you're an RA. And there were just guys I knew. You know, I'd knock on the door, I'd peek inside. They were never there when they were supposed to be there. So you know, I had my little flip uh, and my little clipboard. And not there, not there. Come to Boxberger and Moore's room. They're there every night. And here's what they were doing: propped up on their respective bunks like this. with the Word of God open in front of them. Roy, if I'm remembering correctly, they were both physics majors. No wonder I love those guys. After a long day of exploring the wonders of the universe, I could count like clockwork. Finding Bob Moore and Hans Boxberger, right where they belonged, at the end of the day, communing with the Creator of the universe they'd been exploring. We created a… we just had a little uh, routine. They didn't like to be disturbed, and I didn't like to disturb them. I wasn't really a very good RA, I only lasted uh, a, a school year at it. But the deal was this, don't say anything to us, no chit-chat, don't bug us, we know what we're doing and we're here, just, you know, check, check the, the appropriate box and, and, and be on. It wasn't impolite, it was just, we've got serious stuff here and you got to do your thing and we're good. Just, you know, don't even knock. Just stick your key in the door, see that we're here, come back. Yeah, That was it. It was good. wish, I, wish they were all that way. And it worked wonderfully until one night. Slipped my key in the door. Opened it up. There's more. No Boxburger. I said, Bob, where is Boxburger? Bob Moore just went like this. And we all knew where Boxberger was. Somewhere in the midst of that senior year, of that straight-A, scary-bright physics major, he had made an important discovery that had eluded him up to this point. And the discovery was that on that particular campus, there was another residence hall. And it was filled with creatures that were lovely to behold and exciting to engage in conversation, and Hans Boxberger had found a new interest. So I'd be finishing up my rounds, and I would hear the door at the end of the hallway kind of creak real slowly, and I'd see Hans Boxberger kind of slipping in late at the last minute, and we developed this little uh, stage whisper repartee that went like this, Boxberger! And I would feign shock. Where have you been?" And he'd go like this. And we all knew where Boxberger had been. At the end of the school year, we found in our mailboxes those of us who were acquainted with Hans, a trifold invitation in his native German, her native Chinese, and English so the rest of us would know what was going on. An invitation and a declaration that uh, this is not an exact translation but it is a dynamic translation. Hans Boxberger has fallen in love, and he will never, ever be the same again.